0: this podcast contains swear words hello and welcome to talking shit with tara cheyenne a podcast about art making creativity not giving up and living well in the process and although i'm coming from the perspective of a performing artist the issues and strategies here are applicable to all of us whether you call yourself an artist or not living is a creative act I'm your host, Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, a choreographer, dancer, actor, writer, and educator living on the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish people on the west coast of Canada. In today's episode, I want to get into the topic of criticism. I'll have an art police assignment for you and a fantastic interview with emerging artist creator Zara Shahab. Before we get rolling, I just want to remind you to please subscribe, follow, rate and review, tell a friend. that's how we spread the word about this podcast. We're trying to keep it hundred percent ad free. So any donations help us do that. You can go to TaraCheyenne.com, upper right-hand corner, hit Donate. Even a couple bucks makes a big difference in the art world. (laughs) Notes from the studio. So this week, I want to talk about criticism. Criticism. It's not a complaint, it's a criticism. Our job as creators is not only to make, but almost more so, it is to revise, to edit, to redo, to refine, etc. We make shit up and then at some point we stand back and we criticize it. We criticize what we've created. And or we often ask others, to criticize what we've made. I've been thinking a lot about this because in writing grants or if you don't get the grant you often ask for feedback so you're asking for criticism. When we talk to presenters, so those are the people who often maybe own the theater or run the festival and are shopping Perhaps, uh, and those are the people we go to as dance artists and theater artists, will you take my show? And those people often give us criticism. So the first thing I want to talk about is, do you need or do you really care to have another person criticize or comment or give feedback at the point you're at in your process? So I've talked a lot about how I'm, you know, really in the middle of uh, this piece that I'm making, this full-length work, and I've realized recently after, after getting a lot of feedback from the first few iterations, the first excerpts, works in progress that I've presented, I've asked for feedback, and now I'm at the point where I'm actually like, no, I have to go back and figure out what my feedback is where my joy is, where my enthusiasm is. So it's a good thing to think about before you ask or even accept somebody else's criticism, do you want it or need it? Do you care what this person has to say about your work? And it doesn't mean you don't respect them as a person or an artist, but does it give you anything to get their feedback? It's a good question to ask. Are you subjecting yourself to m- making a shared Google Doc situation? What I mean by that is sometimes when we're, I find this in, when I'm insecure and I'm asking a lot of people, well, what do you think? Is it good? Is that good? I don't know. It's like you're almost turning your work into a shared Google Doc. That was the the reference I could I could think of. So you have all these little bubbles, all these little, you know, comment bubbles popping up everywhere. What about this? What, are you going to make this better? Or can you make this more obvious? Or can you make this more subtle? Or, and is that useful to you? Are a bunch of voices coming into the process, are they useful? And sometimes they are. Especially if you feel really secure and you're really like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm making. I know what I want it to be. So getting a bunch of feedback, you can kind of maybe easily kind of sift through and find, ah, yeah, that I agree with, that I don't agree with. Oh, that really resonates, that not so much. But it's a good question to ask yourself. How protected or protective of your work do you need to be right now? Are you? Is it the soft underbelly? part of creation right now? Or do you feel, you know, well armored in your own convictions to take that criticism? I'm just, you know, I can't help it. It's the voice I need to use when talking about criticism. Does this feedback engage you or does it drain you? I find sometimes, especially when I'm asking people who I know love me and have my best interest at heart, when they give me feedback, it often energizes me. It's like, oh, yes, totally. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm going way too fast in that section. Yes. Or does the feedback drain you? I find feedback that's like, well, I I don't know if I would do it like that. Not that the people who give feedback like that talk in that voice. Um, actually, they probably do. And I'm, I find that that kind of feedback drains me because it's like, what are you saying? What, what is it? Um, I'll talk briefly about giving feedback at the end of this section. Another thing to think about is, are you your worst critic? In which case, maybe it's a really good idea to bring some outside people in. Are you at a point? Are you stressed out? Are you tired? Are you overwhelmed? Those are times when that internal critic can turn into a fucking monster who doesn't like anything you do and is constantly, you already did that. You already did that. It's not very good. Why are you still doing that? Mm. So is this good timing? Is it good timing to work with your own critic or is it better timing to work with somebody else's? And there are times when it is really useful. I'm at that point right now. where It's like, nope, I need to go inside and listen to what, what I think and trust myself. Denise Clark, who is a fantastic artist. She's the mother of talking and dancing, in my opinion. Uh, a mentor of mine. She's with One Yellow Rabbit in Calgary. I'll put her info in the show notes. She said to me years ago, she said, only allow people who love you to come into the studio and give feedback and only allow them to ask questions as opposed to, well, I like the part with blah, 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 and I don't like the thing with blah, la blah, blah. And that advice has been super useful. Be clear. What do you want from these critics? Now, it's going to happen that people are just going to give you their opinion. But can you be clear about what you want from an outside opinion? And maybe you don't want an outside opinion. In which case, can you put yourself in that frame of mind that's just like, I'm just going to try and let this wash over me and um, not take it to heart? Which is, I don't know. If you can figure out how to do that, let me know because I haven't figured it out. Another aspect about criticism is the gatekeepers. Most of us, regardless of what industry you're in, have to come into contact with and deal with It's part of the business, the gatekeepers, the presenters, the the funders, the institutions. These are sometimes the critics that you didn't invite. The ones whose opinion might mean a tour, a gig, or not. So it's important. Some of these people are lovely and really do have the best intentions. I know some presenters that are just, they're trying so hard to expand audiences, to bring in exciting new work, to make possibilities. And I also know some that are really tired and bored and maybe a little bitter. So think about what their bottom line is and think about what your bottom line is. Think about, do you share their aesthetic or their taste? Are they frustrated artists themselves? Can you put yourself in the power position? What do you think of them or their festival? What do you think of their aesthetic? We recently had a big kind of Showcase in Vancouver, dance in Vancouver, where a, a lot of presenters from around the world come to see what's happening in Vancouver. And I know a lot of anxiety and stress, and how do I make the most of this? because I want more work. and we all want more work, of course. Um, but how can you, for your own sanity, put yourself in that power position or, where do I want to go? And what aesthetics do I have? And what makes the most sense for my career? Now, I've had presenters tell me what I should make, how I should make it, who I should be like, etc. And those are hard things to hear. Um, But if you can come back to what what it is that you really want to make. Why are you doing this? There's always going to be people who think you should do it this way or you should do it that way. You should be like this person because that's the gold standard right now. Um, But if you can, what makes you a good artist is that it's you. And this brings me to the question that also Denise Clark asked me many years ago to be clear about is are you or do you want to be a working artist or do you want to be a star? Now, both of these are perfectly valid, and there are drawbacks to both. Working artists, you might not make a lot of money. There's a lot of struggle, but there's also you're the artist. You can hopefully call the shots, not sell out, If you're wanting to be, when I say star, I mean like, you know, how big can I get ideas, different metrics of success, right? And I remember Denise said, well, you got to go where the star makers are. So maybe you have to, you know, you want to be an an actor. Maybe you got to go to L.A. If you want to be on TV, you have to go and Maybe you do have to like get your hair done every week and make those sacrifices. And again, there's struggle, there's compromise, struggling compromise with both, both of those ideas, but that feeds back into the idea of criticism and where you want to put your focus on criticism, whether it's internally, externally, what are the compromises you want to make? Other artists are also critics in our lives and sometimes they're great because they know what's involved in what we do. But you do have to be careful about who you invite in and if you're giving feedback too, making sure you're not telling somebody what you would make. That's kind of a common stumbling block I find. So think about those things and When you're giving feedback, which we, I think most of us find ourselves in those positions, be kind, but be clear and direct. Like, If you think that something should be done much faster, tiptoeing around saying, I don't know about the pacing or like maybe you should just come out. Maybe it's easier. I find it's easier just to like hear somebody's feedback than to try and figure out what they're trying to say to me. Don't give feedback without permission. Does the artist just need more time? More time gives us the opportunity to work things out. So it's a good question. Is it too early in this process to give notes? And that's a good thing for an artist to think about too. Is it too early for me to receive notes? Is somebody like looking over my shoulder while I'm just trying to like figure out a like sentence structure? You know, I can figure that out with time. I don't need constant feedback about that. Maybe not until I have a really good first draft or second draft even. And as a critic, do you want this artist to succeed on their terms? Do you understand what they want to make? I'd love to hear any other ideas you have or opinions about criticism. So you can always drop us a line Facebook, Tara Cheyenne Performance. Instagram, Tara Cheyenne TCP. And now for the segment I call The Art Police, in which I am the parole officer and you as the artist are the parolee. This episode's assignment is do something outside your medium or your craft. Maybe drawing or painting. Maybe taking a dance class. Write a five-minute scene. Write five minutes of stand-up comedy. Design a textile pattern. Compose a two-bar melody. Write a haiku. And my point here is to just, like, adjust your creativity look at some other medium, look at some other craft. We can gain a lot of appreciation for how much skill we actually have in our own crafts when we step outside. And who knows, you might find something that you really dig. So uh, that's your assignment. Do something outside your particular medium. And remember, it doesn't have to be good. You don't have to do it well. That's kind of a great thing about doing something outside your medium. There's not the same kind of pressure. You can go ahead and suck. All right, love to hear how it goes. And now, a very special interview with the very special Zara Shahab. I've known Zara for probably about four years, she's an incredible dance artist an emerging choreographer, super smart, interesting person. I've had the privilege of mentoring her for the past six months or so. And I do mention this in the interview. I feel like I'm getting as much mentoring, um, maybe more, than I'm giving her. Um, It's just such a wonderful experience to work with such a smart, interesting, inventive artist. Um, And before we go into the interview, we were unable to record in our home studio, so I apologize for the ambient noise, but the interview, I think, is really, really interesting. I'll put all the pertinent information and links, website, etc., for Zara in the show notes, as well as other tidbits from this episode. All right, so I will introduce um, Zara Shahab, who is a... Would you identify as a dance artist?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> today. Yes. Today? Yes, today. Uh, today you identify... a dance artist. You today. are a dance artist. Only today. Only today. Yeah. Check back tomorrow. Yeah. It may change. Yeah, every 24 hours. It's a new
0: adventure. I think that's valid. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you are originally from calgary yeah as am i so we share yeah. that
1: mm-hmm.
0: Whew. yeah calgary roots oh man eh yeah. c-a-l-g-r-y
1: part <laughs> of the golden west <laughs> <laughs> but now they changed the logo oh they did it's called uh follow the energy or like something about oil and gas like Ugh. tap into the energy i can't remember Up into the stolen energy. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) right here. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, we stole it, and now we're poisoning you with it. (laughs) Yes, cool.
0: Come to Alberta. (laughs) Yeah, that's Alberta. Yeah, roots. Sorry, Alberta. Am I? I'm sorry for some of the Albertans. Yeah, this podcast is effing good. Um. Okay, so you um have been. Did you start dancing as a tiny little person? No, you didn't.
1: I mean, in the living room.
0: In the living room, which we were just discussing. Yes, there yes. were many living room
1: performances. Um, in high school, you could take like a dance class as an elective. Oh. And so that's where I started dancing and fell in love. And then from there, I went to the University of Calgary Dance Program. And um, I guess that's kind of like where I really started. mm mm-hmm. um, And it was really hard (laughs) yes, yes. because I had no idea what I was doing. And I remember in the audition for the program, you do Melissa Monteros, right? She was teaching when I was there. So she was one of the audition panelists. And she was like, Zara, you don't have the technique to get into the program, but we can tell that you're creative. (laughs) So we're going (laughs) to allow you in. It was like one of those. Oh, my God. (laughs) We can tell that you're creative. (laughs) so I was like I was so happy I was like so surprised I was Aww. like oh my god were you gonna let me into the dance program what yes yeah so it was an adventure it was a, f- a floundering adventure and then I came and trained in, Mo- in modus in Vancouver after that
0: right yeah. right and did uh I'm just curious did you, the University of Calgary dance uh program did it further ignite your love for it or mm. did it get complicated
1: mm. or probably a bit of both yeah I mean it like definitely ignited it like I I was just like so I think I was just like really blissful and happy that I could like be this could be like a path for me I didn't know what was a thing I always wanted to dance growing up I always wanted to I yeah. would like beg my parents um, but when there's like six children in the family that's not really an option <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're like you can dance in the living room um <laughs> <laughs> there's space over there
0: <laughs> no dance classes for you but you can have that corner of the carpet <laughs> yeah exactly a lot of carpet dances oh I love carpet dances oh yeah me too mm-hmm.
1: um, so and of course I think that the thing that got complicated was that it was really hard for me to like train um, when I was coming so fresh like I was so green and like didn't know I could I couldn't stand on one leg and that was just like very much like catching up yeah but I was really good at um finding ways around the things I couldn't do yes and like make shifting my way through things and like finding like really weird creative like ways to pass along with other people Uh uh-huh um but I think I didn't I think I I like yeah it was like a combo of like excitement and But when I left, I was like, oh, like there's like realizing that there's so much more. There was so much more work to do Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. so much more training to do. Yeah. That was a bit disheartening uh, at first um, until I got on board with it and like got really excited about being better. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's something exciting about that. You can always there's always more. Mm -hmm. There's always more. Yes. Yeah. The only downfall I would say that is simply age yeah in my experience now, it's just like, oh, yeah, like I want to take that workshop. Oh, yeah, I totally want to do that. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, I yeah. yeah, it's not going to. I mean, you still, I mean, the capacity of the human body is pretty amazing, but mm-hmm. um, it is wonderful just to yeah. g- kind of keep going. yeah, the right, idea yeah. that you complete your training, yeah. I think is 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 a myth. yeah. It's definitely not that useful. Yeah, right.
1: It makes me wonder though, like in other art forms like, like visual art for example I don't know maybe it's not true like music's probably different performing arts are probably different always but like you do your like basic training as a visual artist and like the rest and like a lot of your training is making like, right you training through making mm-hmm. and then when you have your career you're, I feel like you're not necessarily like apprenticing other people are going to workshops all the time but maybe that's maybe it's not true I think it, I think it probably
0: being the child of a visual, Um, two visual artists. Yes, yeah. I think it is. I think it is true. Yeah. Um, And I, but I think like in dance, because we are sometimes makers, sometimes interpreters. Mm -hmm. So like, I think a musician, like maybe a session musician who's always training, training, training or practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. But there's something great about dance. And I know that I, I, you know, I keep trying to um, instill this in the, actors that I work with, Mm -hmm. the theater people is like, but if we keep training, if we keep doing like, you know, pro experiments, like in dance, we go to class. Yeah. We take workshops. You're always just trying to like get your body to do new things or express in a different way. And I I do feel like that's a, it's kind of a superpower.
1: Yeah. 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 And like, at least that mind state is a superpower. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. As long as you
1: don't break yourself.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at what point did you think, oh, this is going to be my job? And how did your parents react?
1: Oh, um, I I kind of like always, like, I think I went to, I always loved dance. And I think I went, the first contemporary dance show I saw was actually Melissa and Oh, yes. Yeah. And I uh, bawled my eyes out Mm. when I saw it because I had never seen a contemporary dance before. Right. And I was like, I need to be in this world. Um, And I I don't think at that moment I was like, this will be my career. But I was like, this will be my pursuit. Like, I will try my best and everything I can to, like, make this happen. Right. Um, But I guess, like, going to university for dance is kind of like a marker of, like, oh, maybe this will be a career. My parents are, are very much, like, um, hands-off Yeah. Uh, in general. So they're like, you can do whatever you want, but you also have to find your own way to do it. Right. So I never, I didn't really have trouble from them. My dad was a bit, like, confused. <laughs> 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 you know, like, I immigrated to Canada. Like, this this, like, weird thing of, like, you're your immigrant parent like working so hard so that you can have like a like have a life and then you choose like the most like impractical like <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> you like going to be poor like career and he was just like very like what, the what? so confused <laughs> like Aww. why um but he's also he's an artist at heart he's a musician oh, yeah and he uh yeah he loves art and so I think there's a softness in him as well that's just like yeah makes sense you know yeah um so that's how my parent my mom is like super supportive uh, of it and now my dad is by always telling me like oh you need to make every time I talk about dance he's like you need to make more YouTube videos he's like Pete you need to get yourself out there he's like I have a fog machine I have lights he's like oh (laughs) he's like let's go like let's film yourself so you can be all over YouTube (laughs) Oh, Daddy, that's
0: so good.
1: (laughs) So good. That's a short film right there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or maybe a long film. I really want to make a a little video or a show of him, like, because he plays amazing classical guitar. Oh, wow. Like of him playing and then me dancing. And just to, like, see, like, some fog machine. With the fog machine in the living room. Yes. With something draped, like, just like this, that's not fully covering the wall. Just a little bit of a backdrop. Yeah. Not quite complete. (laughs) Oh, that's
0: good. Yeah. I I look forward to that. Yeah.
1: Next next project. Um, Yeah. And then, honestly, I don't think it was until I started happening, like, I started getting jobs that I was like, okay, this could be a career.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, in the
1: last year. Yeah. (laughs) Like, last year and a half. I was like, okay, I'm getting professional work. I'm like, okay, I guess. I guess guess, I'm doing this. I guess I'm doing. Like, I wasn't, like, I always wanted to do it, Mm -hmm. but I, I think I just didn't believe it I could. And then I started getting jobs, and I was like, okay, I guess I can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing it for, like, decades, and I'm still like, can I do this? (laughs) Am I, is this okay? Nobody's tapped me on the shoulder and told me that I can leave now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And my family seems to be fairly well-fed, so (laughs) it's amazing. Mm -hmm. It is amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I must say, like, as much as we all whinge and complain about All the, you know, the downfalls of being a dance artist Mm -hmm. in Canada. Um, It's pretty amazing to even conceive of doing this. I know. Yeah. As a job.
1: I know. It kind of blows my mind. Like, I've been having those moments lately in the studio working for other people. And I'm like, holy shit. I'm getting paid to do this right now. Yeah. It's like. It just is, like, perplexingly blissful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it it is. It's, like, the. it is the best thing, isn't it? Yeah, like, I'm going to work today. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Ugh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes get those fantastic, absurd moments where I'm, like, um, example from a few pieces that I made ago where I spent, like, several rehearsal days trying to get one of my eyes to move independently from the other. And it was, like, I'm at work right now. (laughs) <laughs> and that leads me to my next question okay. which directly I think relates to the moving one eye independently of the other <laughs> um is can art in your opinion change the world oh yes absolutely
1: yeah um okay so I was like having this conversation with my sister recently because she really is like wanting to join the military oh yeah and I didn't understand it for such a long time She's very much like military and now. She wants to join the police force, and we're so different. Well, we're not very different, so that's why I was like confused by it. <laughs> Cause it would not be my response, like my yes. go-to response. Yes. And so, I started to understand. And we were talking about the situation in Yemen right now, yeah. which is like the, my family blood origin, and oh, and um how fucked up it is, and like they can't. This will come around eventually, but like they can't get. Uh, People are starving not because there isn't supplies and aid, but because the rebellion government is not allowing aid through the border. And so there's just like all this aid waiting to get in and people starving stuff. And so um, I was asking my sister, Nora, like, what what do you like when you find out because she's studying political science. So I'm like, when you find out information like that, like, what do you do with it in your body? Like, how do you she's like, that's why I want. I want to get as much knowledge as I can, like, politically about what's going on and also have, like, skill sets, like, military skill sets. So, like, I can be the most in in positions where I can make calls like that. like Wow. You know, where I can, like, I can gain the power intellectually and, like, knowledge-wise and also, like, the skill sets and know the right people to, like, be influencing in those places that are just, like, that's, like, the make or break influence. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then I was like, okay, this makes me feel like dancing. It's just, like, a frivolous... You know, I was twirling around in the studio, like, well, and she was like, no, she was like, the arts are so important for people to see, like, another perspective of, like, human flourishing. And she told me about this um, circus group that tours throughout all the refugee camps. Um. In Yemen, and they they got like got into the border somehow. They're legal, but they're a circus group, and their purpose is to go to all the refugee camps and give the kids um, like entertainment mm. and like show them that like they can laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and like most of those kids will probably die, but like giving them like one experience in their life where they like experience like joy and bliss and like what that does to the brain. Uh, yeah. You know, like yeah. how that changes the brain for a second, for yeah. an hour. Yeah. And then. And then um, and then it made me think about like art as like a long, like a long-term um, solution to things like conflict and war. Mm-hmm. Because if people's minds are in art and are are in a pleasure and are in thinking about um, ideas and different ways of relating to each other and like seeing things on stage that they don't see in the world and like creativity and like how that how changes your vibration and how it activates different things in your brain and connects your brain and heart and things like this. And like people are, will be pre- Uh, less predisposed to uh, to conflict and um, so I think like that conversation was cool to like think about that I've always I've but like on a heart level I know it does because Mm -hmm. of what it does has done to my life exactly yeah yeah like I feel like yeah like my responses to seeing like how some art like it's not even cognitive it just like has like cracked open a part of me that I didn't know I could open and it like stays open now and I'm like great I'm like I understand my existence and like I'm inspired to be like alive (laughs) because I saw this thing yeah and like where else do you get that meaning right yeah
0: meaning yeah yeah and it strikes me as you're talking that both you and your sister are uh it's like you're alchemizing difficulty through your bodies through action
1: yeah
0: in what seems as like opposing ways but in a way they're not Mm -hmm. at all yeah because there's something I always talk about how I I think with my body Mm -hmm. um so if there's something difficult I have to move it yeah in order to um change the vibration or make it I don't know palatable for myself Mm -hmm. or whatever and Mm -hmm. that's that's so interesting
1: yeah
0: um yeah, police yeah. Mil- yeah, it's like it kind of breaks your brain open a little bit about, yeah. you know, how we all have to, how we need to um, activate what our activism is. Yes. Where it sits.
1: Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah, because especially in the arts, sometimes you feel like, oh, am I like, I'm not fully, like, I'm not like so um, frontline involved in the problem or like in the uh-huh. issues. And so it uh-huh. can feel sometimes like really um, like privileged yeah. and separated. Yeah. But it's so important to know that like, yeah. What's that quote recently that's been passed around? I don't, can't even remember. Is it Jeanette Winterson? It's like about like how art, uh, yeah, it, art gives us the opportunity to, to look at our like inner emotional landscape and to show that we're, it's like a reminder that we're not just like uh, rote um, uh, like workers in a machine that like mm-hmm. follow a particular pattern and yeah. like go get through day after day after day. But it gives us that space to like look at what's everything else happening underneath. All the other things that are happening underneath the whole time. The emotional landscape. Oh, yeah. Our, like, spirit. Like, we can look at our spirit. Because it's a portal to look at our spirit for a second. And to, like, remind us that, like, that's uh, that's actually why we're here. And so, yeah. So it's, like, it's cool that people approach activism. Like, yeah. if you really follow your passion, you are being an activist, I feel like. you know.
0: Yeah, and even in the... You're demonstrating, like the circus performers, that mm-hmm. like doing something that is for pure joy mm-hmm. um, is just as valid. Yes. And and I always, you know, it's like you are, it is a political act to just like be there and show another person a possibility, yeah. a different possibility yeah. that they may not have occurred to them or been presented to them. Mm-hmm. Um, there is... Um, the a study done—I think it was done in New York about theater. Um, I'll see if I can find the actual source and put it in the in the show notes. But they study the heartbeats of audience members in theater. Oh, cool! And they, after many shows, uh, realize people's heartbeats sync up.
1: That's amazing. Which
0: blew my mind, That's amazing. and it made me almost want to cry yeah. because it's that it's that. Um, it's like, commu- it's community. Yeah, and it really like,
1: is. Deeply political. Deeply. To like have that many people in, com- like, in com- in, yeah, communing. Yeah.
0: Like that the same yeah. electrical impulse is happening. Mm-hmm. So that in itself is like, oh, well, that, that can change the world for sure. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also think about, and I'm sure you've had this experience, like you've of talking to like just the one person after a show Who is like dazzled, or sees something, or has a question, Mm -hmm. and like that right there is Mm -hmm. shift. Totally. Have you had that
1: experience? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then it makes me feel like okay, that's enough. Like even if just this one person like has had that experience, I'm like, then that's what I needed to make this for. Yeah. 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 Which Mm -hmm. is really important. I think it's really important, especially as we
0: as we grow and develop as artists. There's so much about it's you know it's our culture and like. Are you successful? And what does successful mean? Yeah. And you have the giant, and you've got a, you know, you've done a big thing at Sadler's Wells or yeah. wherever, or, you know, the Met or whatever it means, or a big video, or you're on YouTube, yeah. um, <laughs> which you will be with your dad, um, um, near future. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Um, that it's it's just as valid and just as important. Yeah. that that one person. So the artist that doesn't that touches a few people but really deeply is just as valid and essential yes. as the artist that does the big Venice Biennale totally superstar role. Yeah,
1: because that shit is like it's like ripple effects, it's like butterfly effect. Like you don't never know, like that person is touched and then that person touches that person and that person becomes this artist that like totally transforms the world and then that person like you know yeah like, it's like and some things you'll never know yeah. But probably later when we die.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. It'll be there somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, you said, so um, I'll just um, give the listeners a bit uh, more context. I um, mentored Zara recently. Mm-hmm. Um, still am. Yes, and still am. Although I kind of feel like she's mentoring me in many ways. <laughs> um, and you said in, we were working one day and we were talking about, you um, self-criticism and you said I'm working on decolonizing my mind oh and I just like that's really stuck with me and I just love it Mm. and I'm like working on that
1: now Mm. and can you talk about that sure I don't really remember the exact context that I said it in but the way I've been thinking about it lately yeah and this is maybe how it was before but um it's this idea of um mastery and like knowledge and power, like all those things being outside of myself, like things that I have to uh, reach up towards or like get the right people in the room so they can impart their knowledge on me or like me being kind of this like empty receptacle that like doesn't know anything unless I get knowledge from the gatekeepers of art or like the masters of something. By getting away from this idea in kind of an anti-authoritarian way (laughs) Um, that is like um, creating my own knowledge, like trusting that I can create my own knowledge. I am a knowledge maker and um, kind of rejecting this idea of mastery. And... um, I feel like a lot of the the way that I'm speaking about these ideas right now come from a specific um, book called The Queer Art of Failure, which we maybe talked about before by mm-hmm. Judith Halberstam. Um, and that book really like was a tipping point for me in articulating a lot of things that I've been feeling about, um, feeling about, yeah, decolon- decolonizing my mind. And like, um, yeah, for me, that means like trusting what's already there, knowing that I'm not, Uh, creating in a vacuum that I that the context that I'm creating in the particular intersection that I am in my life at this moment and all the things that I've experienced are um, really valid and valuable to talk about and um, that there's like so much there already Um, and yeah like that kind of (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. oh and this idea I was thinking I was talking about, about this with Natalie yesterday but like I have this really strong desire to like do, like, uh, pursue and create and manifest my ideas and think, really get in tune with what I think and feel about them Mm. um, before I ask somebody else what they think and feel about them. Because, like, so many things I've made have been like, I wasn't sure how I felt about them until somebody saw it and they were like, oh, I like it. And then I'm like, oh, I like it now. And I, like, liked it because somebody else, like, I didn't like it before, but somebody else liked it or didn't like it, and that becomes my experience of it. And I, like, totally remove my experience away from it, and, like, that, I feel like that's such a big disconnect between me and my work. Like, I want to get to a place where I, like, really love it and believe it, believe in it, and, like, I hope other people enjoy it, but it's not that big of a deal, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's, like, of course, maybe utopian, but that, for me, that's also part of decolonizing my mind, like, this external... Um, powers that are above me validation mm-hmm. over my ideas mm-hmm. and over the way I think and, like, allowing my mind to think in ways that are, like, anti-logical and, like, not necessarily, like, follow, like, classic dramaturgical ways or, like, whatever, you know, just, like, seeing what's there beyond the structures that I've been, like, taught over and over and over again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And trusting your your artist self, your...
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's actually
0: what is the gift to yeah. the world, yeah. you know, to sound, you know, it sounds a little drippy, but I totally believe that. Yeah,
1: and you said something uh, around the same time that was like um, something about like the deeper I get into my oddity, the more universal truth I express or something like this. Yeah, it's yeah. it's
0: um, it's that idea, and I've heard this from other artists Um Recently, other female-identifying artists, yeah, it's like the more I reveal my peculiarities, Mm -hmm. the more universal they become. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Love that. I feel like I learned that. i still learning it constantly, but when I first did Banger um, way back, and I was just like, this is just weird. Okay. But how many people were like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yes, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. And we're just like, really? <laughs> yeah. Whoa, I yeah. wish I would have been expressing this, like, more. Really, more and, and, and sooner. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, it's, really, like, really inspiring to hear mm. you talk about that, mm. this idea of decolonizing and just, like, and trusting yourself. Yeah, and that's what it is. If you like really. it.
1: Yeah.
0: Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, kind of. I kind, I guess I kind of do. I mean yeah. that. Um that how, like, that's it. Yeah. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, I feel like a lot of my career has been doing what other people have told me I should do.
1: Yeah.
0: And in hindsight, I was like, I shouldn't, I, I had a better idea, actually. Yeah, what yeah. I wanted to do yeah. would have been better. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we learn these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, yeah, I like that that's, that's out there.
1: Yeah. But,
0: and you're talking about it and you're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's big change, I think.
1: Yeah, because I also, like, I also just feel like if the idea that I'm working on doesn't give me, like, pleasure or, like, doesn't give me excitement, then I have, like, I have no juice. Right. Like, I don't know how to... You might as well be
0: an accountant. (laughs) Not that (laughs) one can't love being an accountant (laughs) for all the accountants listening to my podcast. I know there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think Kate uh, was in the uh, rehearsing uh my last solo and I was kind of yeah I was kind of twisting in the wind and Kate was in Kate Franklin Mm -hmm. um who's been on the podcast if you haven't listened to the interview with her go back and listen to it it's really good she's very smart um and she said well are you having fun and I was like oh Mm -hmm. oh yeah and then I just like was like I just had fun Mm -hmm. and of course it changed the whole thing and it became much better and yeah I mean, otherwise, I mean, we're not doing this for the money. Yeah. You know, in spite of the fact that my family has does eat. So <laughs> <laughs> so part of, well, part of it maybe is for the money. Um, okay, can you, so we're kind of um, just going to start wrapping up, but I want you to give us any, like, is there anything that's, like, really working for you these days? Or you talked about, you know, getting the anxiety out of scheduling. Mm-hmm. How much of what we do is scheduling, if... Um, if you're listening to this and you're not a dance artist, <laughs> you might be surprised to know that a huge part of our job is like scheduling the studio, scheduling the dancers, scheduling the designers, you know, scheduling around your job job if you have a job job, and everything else is like it's a big, mm-hmm. so you were talking about that before we we started recording,
1: yeah, yeah, um, yeah, so of course. Relaxing into scheduling.
0: <laughs> Relaxing into scheduling. <laughs>
1: um, and that, of course, is like trusting. Just mm-hmm. like trusting that things are going to fall into place if you don't, you don't have to like micromanage them. That's a, that's a thing that's been working for me, actually. Um, this idea of like um, focusing most of my attention on the feeling of the work, like the spine of the work. Trying to use my energy to um, access that. Um, whether it's just, like, taking time to, like, feel it emotionally or, like, think about, like, what am I, like, what really am I wanting to make? Like, what experience am I wanting to make? And trying to feel it, like, viscerally in my body over and over again and allowing the details, like, scheduling and, like, the how um, and the all the little crumply details around all the things to just just trusting that they'll fall into place if I Mm -hmm. drive forward with that feeling of the spine of the work and what I actually want to do because it's so easy to like have an idea and then the way my brain works anyway is that the the, some of the details are really black and white and so it's really easy to like go in there and finick with all the details and then you've like frittered all your time away in details and you haven't really tapped yourself in to the emotion of the work um what I'm learning about right now Um, I want to be emotionally connected to what I do. I did like a project this year where I wasn't at all emotionally connected to it. And I um, felt really sad at the end of like, it felt really like empty to like deliver this thing into the world and be like, oh, like i really like have no care about it. I want it to be done. I want it Mm. to not look at it anymore. And it wasn't because I like hated it. It was just because I just like wasn't emotionally connected to the process. And so I want that to be, I want, for me, I want that to be, like, what I focus on moving forward and important. And, like, I want to feel what I'm doing. Like, I want to feel it emotionally right. and in my body. Yeah. Um, and, of course, like, I know that there are time, like, the process is not, there's, like, practicalities in the process and probably really boring days and, like, days that are just, like, rote repetition or whatever. But I, if I, like, even if it's, like, time that I set aside, ima- imaginative time, um to go there and try to understand more about the cocktail of emotions that I want to conjure up, then I feel like that, uh, it's not only, I'm not only driving the work in the right direction, but also, uh, kind of relaxing because, um, yeah, because I'm not like so worried, so worried about all the little logistics. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's like, Oh, that's so good. Mm. Yeah, you're a very good mentor. I'm learning.
1: Something. <laughs> I feel like you taught me that. You said the thing about the spine, about the spine of the work, <laughs> Yeah, you were like. I think you, it was a yeah. You, you initiated that
0: thought, um, but that in itself is very decolonizing. As mm-hmm. I'm listening to it, because it's this like idea of what his work, mm-hmm. to um, which is probably another episode. Yeah, um, Go because I definitely it's like oh I have to work and it, working is writing a grant, working mm-hmm. is budget, working is scheduling, working mm-hmm. and working is in fact the work of just like relaxing and what do i care about how yeah. do i feel this in my body and what makes me like yeah. uh, excited or uh, super mad or whatever yeah. is actually like that's actually the work yeah of the art making right
1: yeah yeah and like the pleasure in that yeah it's like a regenerative I feel like. it is isn't it yeah yeah otherwise it's too i don't know too tiring yeah yeah
0: there was, um, I think I, would, I think I might have talked about this in the interview with Kate, but this thinking like what is giving me, what is exciting me, what is giving me enthusiasm and what is sucking my energy and just mm-hmm. making sure to kind of keep, um, keep those things in mind yes. because it's easy to get pulled off. I find it's easy yeah. to get pulled off track and mm-hmm. then you get further and further away from the spine. Yes. And then you start doubting it. Yeah. And then that's just a spiral into like...
1: I should have gone back to university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you're, like, making decisions in uh, with the mindset of, like, um, like uh, making decisions to, like, fix something. Or, like, the, uh, th- making decisions around, um, like, producing something or fixing something or, like, <laughs> correcting it or, like, trying. Like, I don't know. Decisions come from a different place yeah. that are not, like, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this.
0: Yeah. 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 It's not from, like, desire and yeah. just, like, trusting your... Your, your spideys your mm-hmm. your internal gadget mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah thank you so much for oh, talking my pleasure, talking. <laughs> my pleasure. Um,
1: <laughs> shows coming up do you have shows coming up oh yes I do I have a full length show coming up on January 12th um, it is presented with new works um, dance all sorts it's on a Sunday afternoon January 12th at 2pm at the roundhouse and more information is on my website, shahabibi.com. get yeah, the best website name. S-H-A-H-A-B-I-B-I.com. And I'll put that in the show notes. Nice. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Decolonize your mind, everybody. <laughs> and that's it. Thanks for listening. You can get in touch at Tara Cheyenne TCP on Instagram, Facebook, Tara Cheyenne Performance. Support this podcast. At tarasheyanne.com, upper right-hand corner, donate, or I'll put the link in the show notes. Special thanks to Zara Shahab for sitting down with me and talk and shop. Thanks to our composer and producer, Mark Stewart of Mark Stewart Music. Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne is a TCP production. Don't give up, just keep making shit up. Mm.
1: This podcast is effing good.